1: Seria Chronicles is a Maya Chronicles production.
0: Hello, and welcome
1: to another Seria episode. Oh, sorry, I forgot what the show was called. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Outtakes. There's just like a pigeon that's mating, and I'm trying really hard not to look. Okay. <laughs> um, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Serie Chronicles. I'm Mina Rizuki, and as always, I'm joined by the fabulous Nikki Bandini. As we try to go through, um, I want to say exciting, but for once, things weren't as predicted, if that makes sense, a little bit in the title race, where there wasn't some great shocks and, um, everything comes across as somewhat understandable because you know Nikki I've realized recently that I've been losing my hair and I can't figure out whether that's from COVID COVID uh, to you or um, or because you know like it's just become really stressful and it's too too many games to watch it's too many things to talk about and
0: Oh, I'm tired. How are you doing? Well, mostly I'm just glad, Mina, that you introduced by saying I'm joined by Nikki Bandini because I thought you were going to introduce the two pigeons who you've just told me are getting acquainted. Shh, <laughs> that's not supposed <laughs> <laughs> Right outside your window, which I'm sorry, I can't, I can't not yeah. that money. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm all right. Why, why do I have two pigeons meeting? I mean, what the hell's going on? Why anyway, not? Yes. Why not, Mina? You know, maybe they're just yeah. attention seekers trying to get some podcast time. mentions, trying to get you know, Insta famous. Who knows? Um,
1: you know, they're London pigeons because you know they they saw the sun for a second, took off their clothes, and just started having
0: sex. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is what happens in London when we just glimpse the sun. Oh god, that is true. I haven't lived in London for a while, but that is true. Like as soon as the sun comes out in the park, everyone's just not wearing clothes. It's true. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like what happened here, dude. Like it's still sixteen degrees; it's still pretty cold.
0: Um. Anyway, you were asking me about football. Um. And Uh, yes, did you know, Mina? This was, I suppose, by city standards, it was a boring weekend, wasn't it? I mean, we had the first time Mm. since the 9th of January that all three of the top three have managed to win a game of football together, which probably should be some sort of cause (laughs) of celebration. But it means that for once, we haven't got a story of, well, this team stuffed it up or that team stuffed it up because they actually all managed to win. So we were just talking about this before we came on now, weren't we? It's almost almost hard to know where to start with it because there's not, as there has been, it feels like every week, someone to go, oh my God, how did they blow that?
1: Yeah, exactly that. I mean, obviously the last time we spoke, um, on this podcast as a main show, Inter had yet to play Bologna. So mm-hmm. they were still in charge of their destiny and still in the driving seat for the Scudetto. Obviously since then we've made many episodes with P- Patreon members, but for those who don't listen to that, Inter did stuff it up mm-hmm. and it's back in, in mainland's hands. And it was an exciting, I guess, in, in one way, because there was a part of you that was like, hold on a second, I mean I'm going to manage this against Fiorentina because it was touch and go for a while and you did think that once again it was a lot of, let's start there actually, it was a lot of, you know, um Leao brilliance but missed chances, Giroud Mister a sitter, um, you felt like, you know, Kessie had that wonderful through ball and, and Leao was coming in and, and doing a lot of things but nothing was... Turning into a goal. And you just thought, Oh, is this going to, is this going to go another way? And we're going to see another nil nil. Um, but they did manage to do that again. What 28% of their goals have come in the last half an hour of a game, which goes to show you just how much they've grown in mentality. And that's obviously been a debate now in Italy about the fact that they are a team that like Roma have grown in that sense and are very capable of scoring in the end and, and always believing until the final whistle. But you don't look at this team and think to yourself, "Oh, you know, the team that that really like, you know, wins you with all the beautiful play." I mean, they are beautiful, but you know what I mean. What do you actually? What do you think of what Saki said
0: about the fact that Milan are modern and beautiful, and then Inter from the '60s? Oh my goodness, Harigo Saki successfully. What I think about is Harigo Saki successfully making it all about him, as he always. Has, <laughs> I know he always manages to do. Um, I yeah, I I don't know. I, I think. Um, I think we've reached the point in the season where of course there's still analysis to be done right of course in individual games managers are making decisions about their team selection about their formations about their systems uh, and adjusting on the fly but I I feel like I, I we're almost into a phase where it it does move a bit beyond that and into the just who's got the metal isn't it who's got the metal to see it through and there's a part of it when you look at these last couple of weeks where you can also say god the breaks are going Milan's way, right? Like, so Inter, uh, lose to Bologna, as you talked about, with just a colossal goalkeeping error, right? Like their, their backup goalkeeper, who ironically enough, lots of people have wanted to see sooner because their starting goalkeepers had some, some disappointing aims, but their backup goalkeeper comes in, swings the ball, swings a leg at the ball, it goes underneath. They concede one of the most terrible goals you can imagine. And they end up losing to Bologna. And now this weekend, Milan against Fiorentina, Milan are playing better. Fiorentina looked a little bit a little bit like they might be sort of not maybe not on the beach, but packing their bag to go to the beach at that yeah. point. And and it's the sort of a goalkeeping mistake again, Terracciano, uh, that, that gives Milan what they need in the end. He just terrible clearance goes straight out to Liao and Liao is decisive, right? This is not the same as the Bologna goal. Liao still has a lot of work to do at that point. Mm. which he does brilliantly. But, um, but yeah, it does sort of have that sort of slight feel about it, doesn't it? Of Just other stars aligning for something, but then I, I just can't hold on to those thoughts at the moment because every week something surprises me as to like, whether or not one of Inter or Milan play a more modern kind of football. I I don't know. I, I think I, I slightly believe that I believe that Inzaghi has more of a system, which, you know, ironically, that is that is more what you tend to expect to hear Saki liking. I think Insagi has more of a sort of idea of the football he's trying to play, which has been hit and miss whether or not he's managed to achieve it, I think, this season. I think that Milan are, are really well coached on the details by Pioli. They've got players who are pulling in the same direction. That's where I come back to talking about, I'm not sure it is about system or tactics at this point. I think it's just about something in this Milan team that is starting to feel like it has a sense of its own destiny. And I think that's why why they're starting to sort of have something about them that little bit of magic that it feels like right now it's going to see them cross the line. Do please do flag this up to me in a week's time when they get whalped by um, someone else and I have to eat all my words.
1: They do have a very difficult um, run in now. Um, well, I mean, Hellas Verona. I don't know what to expect them from them either. So, I mean, there's something to be said about facing teams that are in the bottom half that might be fighting for a little bit more than teams that are in the top half. And perhaps, you know, like you said, Fiorentina, maybe not on the beach. But what's so interesting about them is that they're a team that just progresses the ball so quickly, minimal touches, beautiful football, beautiful dribbles. But they leave so many gaps mm. and they take so many risks. And if they do want to be a team that actually significantly grow from the one that we've seen under Italiano. And obviously they're missing Vlaovic, so they're not going to be this brilliant in the second half of the season like they were, I think, at the beginning. But if they are to grow, then they need to not leave the kind of gaps that they do that other people can be opportunistic like Milan. This is what I like about Milan. What I like so much about it is, is how much they've grown in the ways that they can try to deliver. You know, it is, is it is, a progression in their mentality. It is a progression in, in how they are opportunistic tactically, how they, how they, players like Tonali are s- growing to the extent of like running a midfield practically all on his own. Um, when Ben Assera is not available and Kessier is not making the best of it. So, but it really, for me, it's mania, right? It's oh those my goodness.
0: moments. He made a huge save, a huge save.
1: A what save. a save. And Cabral, I, I really thought like for me that was it. That was a goal for sure. That was a goal, you know. But it goes to show you how important really a goalkeeper is to your entire season because it's like you said, it's Tedesco for Fiorentina. That's the that's the fault. It's Radu for Inter. It, it it's been different uh, different goalkeepers for different teams. But having Manian has been really has added so many points to this Milan season. And it is these little details that have made the difference because I do think overall, if I look at, you know, as a complete example, I think Inter are the better team. And I and I really like their football. They may not have the mentality and they may be a little bit more men- emotional, but in general, you know, what, what did you think of their game against, uh, against Udinese? Because that was a potential banana slip.
0: Yeah, it was one of those games which felt like it was kind of, done at halftime and then it, it wasn't, you know, they they did let Odineza back into it, did get a bit more sort of hairy, but I I never felt like they were going to blow this one. And maybe that again is, you know, me sort of applying subjective feelings on it. I, I felt like they were, I felt like they were just never threatened that much by Odineza, even though Odineza did get that goal, did sort of put some pressure on the scoreline. I, I didn't feel like it was ever not in its game. Now, of course, those are situations from which it only takes your goalkeeper to let the ball go under their foot and change very, very quickly. But there weren't a lot of chances in the game. It wasn't a particularly exciting game. I, I was to throw a question back at you, Mina, if I may. Like, I was sort of curious to know what mm. you think about um, Inzagi afterwards, basically coming with the line. In the, uh, win the Super Supercoppa for the first time in 11 years, chance to win the Coppa Italia for the first time in 12 years, got through to the last 16 of the Champions League for the first time in, I think that's also 11 years. Mm. You know, who's trying to tell me this is not a successful season, even if we don't win the title? And I was curious to know, Mina, like what your reaction to that was. Is that because you think your reaction is different to mine? Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can tell you what I think about it if you want. I, I, I think he's got, to some extent, he's got a point. I think it's it's fair yeah. to say. It's fair to say that, that all those things are achievements that are meaningful. It's it's meaningful that they did go further in Europe than, than they would under Conte, which is always our big criticism under Conte. Um, he was responding to this line about it being Pat Senter again, saying, well, look, if this is crazy then. And I think that's all fair. I think the bit where he lost me, um, which I struggled with more, funnily enough, was not even that part of it. There's another thing he said, though, which was, you know, go, the start of the season, no one, no one thought we were going to win the league. And that that is also taken on its own, true. But the reason no one thought they were going to win the league is because everyone thought Juventus were going to win the league again. No one was standing before the season started and saying Milan are going to finish ahead of you. They just weren't. Oh, I don't know. I,
1: I don't think that's true. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people that saw all the financial problems that they were going through and the fact that they lost a lot of key players. And thought, you know, obviously with Allegri back at Juventus, that is going to add to it and Milan growing, definitely. But surely it's going to be much harder for Inter this season than it was last season. And I would
0: also agree with that. But no one thought they'd be behind Milan. I really don't buy that part of it. Harder, yes. Yeah. But you're yeah. not losing to Juventus, you're yeah. losing to Milan. And that's, that's the bit where he loses me, I think.
1: Yes, because frankly, it isn't even a, a Milan that has had all its best players available to them for the for the whole season. And aside that, even if it has its best players, is still inferior as a squad to the one that Inter has at the moment. Um, it is the capacity to use a full squad. It is the ability to manage to rotate to play, you know, um, Kululu or Matia Gabbia or Sal Makas or whoever it is that they shoved up front. Ibrahim Diaz, who's been really not very good and continues to start because what are their alternatives at the moment? Mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult. And when you consider all of that yet, then yes, I do think for Inter that you have to look at themselves and think, why, why have they dropped points? Why are they so emotional? What is it that, that makes them, you know, it's it's always a moment where they get annoyed about something and then everything changes and everything shifts. And that is something that they need to work on. But I do agree that they have played a lot more games than they did last season. Mm-hmm. There was a part of me that when I was watching them against Bologna, where they looked really tired. I mean, you just didn't look at the side and poor Barella, I think he's played every single minute of the season. And I don't know what their fitness coaching is like at the moment, but clearly not it's, gonna be, it's not going to be as strong as it was last season. And when you add all those additional games, um I do agree with him. There was how many games in 22 days, then it becomes that much more difficult. And they have progressed. I guess with the quality of the squad, you expect more. But then when I really think about it, I think Korea, he's hmm, not really, you know, Zheko is 36. You know, I, I, it's done, Denzel Dumfries' first season and he's been rather stupendous. They are kind of dependent on that midfield that has done wonders for them. Brozovic is growing leaps and bounds and, and Chaneloglu is double digits when it comes to assists and Barella is obviously Barella. I just wish that they are better under and and more patient. Mm -hmm. I think that's their issue. And I just didn't feel like that was their issue last year. So that's the only thing, because from a tactical point of view, from a development point of view, I think they're heaps and bounds better than they were last season. But from an emotional point of view, that's where I have an issue with it. And I don't know how I judge Inzaghi based on this, because I do think he's lucky to have had the squad. But another part of me also thinks, are we expecting too much?
0: I think the other big question for Inter with me now is just, is this, how does this get better next season? Because the talk is again of a need to cut from the budget. The talk is again of a need to make sales. Um, We we we've already sort of talked plenty in last week about Perisic. He was brilliant again at the weekend. But in that context, it becomes even harder to see him sign a new contract. I... I, I worry for Inzaghi that he'll end up, I think this is the thing with all these sorts of conversations, all these arguments, all these sort of, well, you know, me making this, you know, Inzaghi making that point of, uh, of, um, you know, you guys have, uh, didn't expect these things from us. The way that you sort of quiet that conversation is by going further next time. And I'm worried that it's going to be yeah. even harder to go further next time for them. So I'm, it it does feel like an opportunity that's slipping away from, from Inter, a window that could be, not closing, because I don't think they're about to collapse, but I think it, it could be, I don't know, the window analogy. I can't can't think of a good way to continue the window analogy, but it's going to be getting harder anyway. Maybe someone's putting a screen across it or something rather than closing it.
1: (laughs) This is the thing, right? Because you feel like this is the best chance to win a a title, um, a second one in a row, frankly speaking. Because from now on, if Investcorp really do buy Milan, which looks like it's going to happen, and they're going to spend money on it, and then you you imagine Juventus will grow and they will get better um, under Allegri, Uh, like they have in the second half of the season, you think Roma trajectory probably up Atalanta won't be as bad as they were this season. Napoli, you never know. You really (laughs) never know. But this is the, the best chance because I feel like Milan, I mean, they're five points better than they were last season. And you just imagine next year it'll probably be 10 points better than last season if they actually improve these areas. And so... You start to wonder, I agree with you, with considering all the uh, what they have to do from concessions and, and how much they might have to sell and what they can really spend. I don't know. But then I always believe in Marotta's ability to balance the squad. So it's going to be.
0: Interesting to see that. Yeah. But I mean also I meaning we could be here next week and me and I have lost a bit on and it's sort all of changed. So. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. which could totally happen yeah.
1: because Verona is this that team, right? Yeah. That took, you know, fourth place away from Napoli last season. Let's talk about Napoli because <laughs> when we are talking about Inzaghi having to defend himself and obviously defend the season. Spalletti did something similar for Napoli and was like, you know, like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, we have qualified for the Champions League. We did it well in advance of what, what we managed last year. And, and to be honest with you, there's a part of me that agrees with him. Like, I don't know why all of it, like, maybe because they tremendous start to the season and the fact that this has been a team that has played together for many years, that everyone's always expecting this jump in quality from them. But they are a side that finished in fifth last season and they are in third right now. And rather than applaud that, Perhaps we have expected too much from this side. When you look at Milan's quality and you look at Napoli's, you think, well, Napoli is more complete and they should be doing better. But then you think, I don't know. I, should we be upset with them that they didn't actually challenge until the last day? Or should we be proud that they managed to gain two, you know, two places in the in the league table considering where they were last season under Gattuso?
0: Yeah. So this was the weekend when the top four basically all looked up their place in the Champions League. So Napoli are confirmed for the Champions League as well now for next season, aren't they? So everyone is is set fair. If you're in the top four now, you're going to be in the Champions League, which is obviously a big load off. Um, for, for them. And that is an achievement in itself. And it is important for the club's finances. Mm-hmm. They had kind of the most fun game of the weekend, um, against Sassuola, <laughs> but I was thinking about, you know, if you're in Tina, are, are sort of getting packed to go to the beach, then it looked like Sassuola had not just gone to the beach, but they'd left the cooker on at home and set the house on fire. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was pretty sort of, yeah, exactly. it was pretty, pretty sort of, um, awful stuff, um, at times, certainly defensively. But I mean, Sassuolo have had a few games. Was Skamaki even there? I didn't even notice him for like, I don't know how long, you know? I was like, what
1: is this guy doing? Sassuolo
0: have been trending this way for like a, a little while. Um, but you know, that kind of isn't part of the trend because they had some wins since. I was thinking they had that 4-0 thrashing by Sampdoria, but that was all the way back in February. So actually they've had some good results since then as well. But they are, they, they've they lost three in a row. They, they look like a team that's that's packing up and and you do get some of that at the end of the season. But, it also sort of on the other side of it does feel like it very much plays into the narrative that we've been talking about all season with Napoli, that this team can't handle the pressure, which was also why they weren't winning games at home, was also why they fell apart when the tide was up. And as soon as you take the pressure off them, it all comes together. Um I did think it was interesting though, Mina, as well, that um we had a big conversation, didn't we, last week? A big conversation, we had a conversation last week about retiro and whether we agreed with it and it sounds like ritiro in practice was let's go out and have a few dinners together it wasn't really actually like <laughs> go and spend a proper ritiro at all and and Spalletti saying you know well we should have even more meals together if this is the result and you know what sure yes some team bonding often a good idea
1: yeah I definitely think it's a good idea but I also I also think it did take him having to argue with with the team Mm -hmm. and with, as in with management and De Laurentiis and his son and to be like, look, I don't agree with this. I don't agree that this is the step forward. And there has been concessions from management to be like, okay, it's not going to be a full-blown Routier, but we'll try. Although the way that they reacted to that, if I was the team, I would have done badly. I would have done really badly in this game specifically to say, I don't want Retiro to be the answer to to these games. Yeah. And then you come out with like this kind of like, win, and I'm thinking now you're just forcing them to treat you like, kids. you know, no, I'm joking. But I mean, I looked at this game, and again, I was annoyed because it was just um as a defensive, really man for the top half of the of the team. But it's it's like you said, Sassuolo didn't even show off, Mm -hmm. you know. So there was no no even point to talk about tactics or what was supposed to happen or which players. But the only thing that I really looked at in this game, and I thought to myself, Trace Mertens. Oh, my goodness. Like, he really is the ace in your, you know, up your sleeve. He is fantastic. Anytime he comes on, he does something so special. He's the one guarantee, other than Osman, for me, in Napoli. And if he isn't going to stay next season, then please can we have him at Juventus or any, really, honestly, like him and Perisic, right now, they blow me away with what they're doing, despite their age and just how much of a guarantee they have been. So they're teams this season.
0: That's, that's a really interesting thought, you know, I know they're not even specific to Juventus, but see, I, I, I've i been sort of caught in a while in this mindset that it'd be really sad if Mertens leaves Napoli because Mertens loves Naples. Yeah. In fact, with this idea that that the fix was just for everyone to go out for dinner. I've spoken to Dries Mertens about this stuff before. It said it was one of the things that really clicked with him in Naples was that he started living like a Neapolitan, going out late for dinner and doing these things. And you've only just put this thought in my head now, I mean, that if he were to leave... Couldn't you just imagine him on a Champions League winning team next season being the guy who comes off the bench and scores two or three important goals on the way? I could see that because he's not going to start for a Man City or something, but a team like that could use him really effectively in short bursts. And actually, I think that's that's a really interesting thought because he he's, he's still special.
1: I mean, look, if Inter do have to sell someone, it would be a great person to bring in just Mertens, you know? But as it as it stands, there is the all likelihood that he will end up staying in our And um, Aurelio Di Dorente seems to want to give him further time on the bench or whatever on on the team because he has really been. There's a little fly. Sorry, I'm a little bit scared <laughs> of insects. So
0: <laughs> anyway, first <Mena> versus wildlife. <laughs> yeah, and the wildlife in London
1: is <laughs> a teeny tiny fly, but I'm scared of them. So uh, yeah. Um, But he is, he is exceptional. It's, it's going to be interesting as well to see what Napoli do on the transfer market. Um, and whether or not, like what they, what they decide to do and how much they decide to try to change, because this can't keep going where we're always talking about Napoli's mentality. I do think there needs to be an investigation or players that are bought with a little bit more, I don't know, perhaps less technique, but more anger, if that makes sense if that's something to be looked at or how the team is even going to manage without Lorenzo Insigne, if it's going to be a, a, if you're going to really notice his absence or actually celebrate his absence. I don't know. You know, I can't imagine you celebrate the absence of someone who's so technically gifted, but he is rather annoying as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch what's going to happen. But if you are to, just just now, just a little, if you are having to wonder who's going to finish in top four next season, do you think it'll be the same four? based
0: on the trajectory of these teams currently? I think the most likely team to break the top four next season in my head is Roma right now. Mm-hmm. Could Atlanta also sort of there, but I think Roma is, is my answer, I think, in my head. And maybe you could see Inter or Napoli dropping out of it, but it's, it's a long way off. It's the summer. You don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's too soon. that's really speculative. And, and, and I, right now, I feel like the top four are the best four teams in Italy. So that depends on how things do go in the transfer window.
1: Okay, well, obviously, Nikki, I do think that you feel that Juventus, well, we thought Juventus would be a lot better this season than they were last season. And then they ended up sort of uh, losing Ronaldo and suffering slightly. But Venezia was a team that actually had robbed them of all three points in the reverse fixture and managed to draw with them. This time around, they were under new stewardship because uh, Zanetti had been sacked and they were under the control of the, their youth team manager. And, um, Obviously, it started really badly for them and it was all about Juve in the beginning. But as always happens with Juve, somewhere along the line, they fall asleep and, and only really awaken when, when the points are, are threatening to, to drop even further. There was a lot of conversation because it was Miretti playing in midfield and he's an 18-year-old, obviously grew up in the Juventus Academy, very gifted, uh, usually plays a little bit further forward, but played more as a central midfielder on this occasion. There is obviously a huge injury crisis going on at Juventus currently where they've had to play the likes of Danilo or whoever in midfield, but Danilo was able to play as defender and Zachary, might have, uh, should have probably been sent off, but it was him, Rabiot, who is a lot better recently. I don't know what's happening to him. Um, And uh, Miretti. And they managed all three points to successfully qualify for the Champions League.
0: Do you think they're going to be a team to fear next year? Yeah, I I think that it's not very sort of... It's not very easy to sort of fall in love with the event team, the way they're playing right now. They're not playing particularly exciting football. They're not particularly inspiring to watch. And maybe that's also influenced by the fact that they aren't playing right now for big targets. Like we've sort of felt reasonably confident they're going to get in the Champions League for a while. They haven't really been in that title race. So they're a bit sort of less grabby anyway. But the fact is still true that we've talked about a few times, Mina, which is if you started the season at the beginning of January, there's only one team that's got the same number of points as as Juventus and that's Milan. So there's two that those two would be the top two teams in Serie A if you started the season at the beginning of January. Now, of course, to an extent you can go, well, that's ridiculous. You just said January because the beginning of the year doesn't mean anything. You can call it an arbitrary date. Sure, but they signed Vlahovic in January. So actually something did change in January that was quite meaningful. And he hasn't scored a million, million goals like we thought he might. And maybe he'll score more goals next season but he has changed the whole dynamic of how that team works. And the fact is that their results with him have been pretty good. So I, I'm i not inspired by Juventus right now. And I think that's a very sort of familiar feeling of years of watching Max Allegri. And what inspires you with Max Allegri is when you realize, God, actually, stay, take a step back for a second and look how he's consistently getting these results over and over again. And it's not coincidence. He, He does or at least historically has managed to build consistency in results leading into good decisions in big games, which is how they got to two Champions League finals. This season, they started horribly. And perhaps that is in one narrative that could be told a year from now, that was the clearing out of all the bad vibes and everything they needed to get cleared out from before. And, And that's gone now. We'll see. But I mean, right now, I think you can't ask much more than again having the joint most points of any team in Serie A in this calendar year that they've improved which is what people wanted to see them do last week
1: we didn't speak about them because their game was on Monday and they had uh, Sassuolo but there was a part of me that nearly died laughing when he's like well I was going for the draw And then you know sadly we gotta win. You <laughs> didn't say sadly, obviously, but there was a part of it that was like he was almost annoyed that yeah. they won that. Match. And 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 I, I don't know whether he's trolling the fans who hate him, because he there are some things that he says that make you just think, like, have you lost your mind? But he does also really make me laugh. Um and I'm glad that he played Miretti in this game when you know things are a little bit more secure and they are more established in where they are as a position and there's less pressure and that way we can see the beauty of this midfielder who set up honestly the two goals effectively that Bonucci managed they are set pieces um, but also was the one that was at fault perhaps for the Veneti equalizer but this just goes to show you that kids make mistakes but they're also brilliant and can be very brilliant and he is somebody with a bright future ahead of him but as to why he wasn't brought in earlier, I don't like players being introduced when there's pressure, when there's things to consider, and when teams are not yet established in their identity or in their main features, like are they defending well, are they attacking well? The Juventus has just been chaos for a while and and, and I think it's it was a good time to introduce him. But I also want to mention how important Bonucci is to this mm. team. I mean, whether it's his launches forward, obviously on this occasion he got two goals, but he is still one of the only few that I can look at in the squad and feel like he has the Juventus determination that you think of. And it's going to be a really sad day because we're probably going to lose Kalini, but to lose Bonucci effectively as well. And I would like Dilich to do more from an attacking point of view, not to score goals, I mean the launches that Bonucci does. and But right now he's holding the defence together, so it's been a marvellous season. Meanwhile, all of the top four boring games, the best... <laughs> The best were the Sam, Sampdoria versus Genoa, Roma and Lazio's games. Should we start with the amazing game that was Sampdoria-Genoa? Because this is supposed to be a derby. But obviously the iconic, for me, the iconic photo of that is Aldero kissing Crisito's mm-hmm. head when he missed that penalty. And it, if, that is, if there's ever anything a sporting culture and the beauty of football, it should be that. It should not be the trolling and it shouldn't be the madness. It should be that amazing picture in, in what is a, a really tough derby, considering both of them at this moment don't want to be caught up in a relegation fight.
0: Yeah. When you said amazing in football, I was like, well, it wasn't amazing. I thought the quality of it was poor, but it was, it was, oh, it, no, was it was terrible. High drama. Oh, sorry. Um, high drama. And there's, there's so many threads going on here in that moment with with Krikshito um, because, you know, for anyone who's not aware of this, like he he started his career at Genoa. Like he, he was playing for a youth club in Naples. They signed him when he was sixteen years old, gave him his debut in Serie B. He then had a career that took him briefly to events, actually, and then for much longer time to Senate St. Petersburg. But he's he's been sort of back and two to Genoa on and off for his whole career, 20-year career. He's he's been there a lot, and he's been there four times, I like think 270 appearances. And he was supposed to leave at the beginning of this year. Like he had a deal to go to Toronto. I'm actually not entirely sure if that deal may still happen in the summer, but he was supposed to leave in March and he was going to go to Toronto FC where he would play with eventually Lillian Sr. of course. Those two are old friends. Uh, they go on summer holidays together and you think, you know, he's he's in his mid thirties now. That was sort of the, maybe it's not the end of his career, who knows, but it was sort of the, the nice sort of late career chapter he's got to look forward to. And instead, he he stays to fight this relegation fight with Genoa. And so that's sort of, you know, the backdrop to then. The guy who loves Genoa so much, he couldn't leave them and take the easy life. Lines up to take the penalty in the 94th minute of the derby, which is, for anyone who doesn't watch these games, they're not on top of Serie A. Genoa derby, the derby against Andorri is one of the most passionate in all of Serie A. But Mm. really, really, like every time you see it at the Marassi, it's an incredible atmosphere. Stadium to go to if you ever get the chance. And in the 94th minute, they win a penalty. Clichy missed no penalties in the last two years. He hasn't missed one in eight attempts. He's a great penalty taker. He fluffs his lines. Like, so that's like such a high point of a moment of drama. And then on the other side of that story, 11 years ago, there was a derby at a really similar point of the season where the roles were reversed. So Genoa had had this middling season hadn't kind of been in the relegation fight for a while, but were just about pulling out of it. So a bit like Sampdoria this season and Sampdoria with the team fighting relegation. And that game was, was one all until injury time when Bozzelli came, came off the bench. His players played like 180 minutes all season and scores a goal. And you were talking about well, human moments Mina, and the sort of sporting nature of it. That time things went very much the other way. You know, Genoa fans were parading coffins around the streets of, of in Sampdoria colours to sort of taunt them. It was a merciless moment of sort of one-upmanship within the city. So you have all at once on the weekend, a stadium with Sampdoria fans who are having their revenge serve cold in the best possible way. You know, if you're a Sampdoria fan, you've waited 11 years to do this back mm. to your rivals. And you've got Krishito, who it's just impossible as a human being not to feel destroyed for him like he's made such a sort of I mean, I'm sure it isn't selfless but you can look at it as a very selfless choice to say no I won't go take the easy life at Toronto I want to to see this through and, and be part of this fight against relegation and then gets that wrong in the big moment and as you said Darrow's reaction to it as a human being sort of giving him a kiss on the head it was it was very touching wasn't it?
1: It just, it's amazing because sometimes when you look at these, you know, these teams fighting relegation, whether they be Salernitana or Cagliari, and you sometimes think that they don't care, right? They're just there. And it's so easy to fall into this um, narrative of thinking that these players, a lot of them are mercenaries and they don't really care about it and they can leave. But, you know, when you see Kushit when you see his tears, when you see like how much it was a 96 minute and this was an opportunity to get one point, one point that can really help save you right now. And to miss it after he'd gone eight in a row is, is, oh, it's, it's, it's hard and it's gut wrenching. Yeah. But I do, I do want to applaud Sandoori because I thought from a defensive point of view and how they covered spaces was really good, but I agree with you that I think it was a, a somewhat terrible game but um... and, and
0: just to sort of complete the context on that it doesn't mean Genoa are down but Salernitana did win again so Genoa are only three points behind a safety spot but now Sler-Nitana are ahead of them on the head-to-head so you've basically got them Cagliari and Salernitana fighting for that one spot only one of those teams is going to get safe at this point realistically the maths it's possible for other things to happen but realistically that's what's likely and it's yeah it's looking like more and more of an uphill now for Genoa
1: All right, guys, we just want to do a few shout outs to new Chronicles to Fozzie patrons and want to say thank you so much for supporting this podcast. It really does mean a lot to us. So today we're thanking Daniel Agudelo, Nene, oh, I like this name, (laughs) Tom Bosket,
0: Michael Hart, Stephen Zorzi, Vivek UK, George and Josh. We've got two one-namers. And... Then we've got Hannah Visenich, and I um, wanted to give a little special mention as well to Jonathan Borders, who said it's Sarah Chronicles is by far his favourite podcast and Portia Allen, who both actually also were already Chronicles, I but have very kindly sort of given a little um, bonus. We just want to say like a big thank you in general, actually, because everyone who has given us extra support since we sort of were honest with you guys about the situation we're trying to raise funding for the podcast. It's been amazing. So thank you all. We are. Yeah. Still working on things, we're getting some more leads, but it's been really touching just to sort of see how you've all reacted to that. And um we're really incredibly grateful basically. For supporting us. Um we will continue to bring
1: the drama and the naughtiness. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about my two favourite games of the week. Um, only because Josie Marino just makes everything so much more fun when he talks about it afterwards. So obviously, you know, Roma were held by Bologna. Bologna is now like, I don't know what, they they have been stunning quite honestly and i and i didn't mention on my mini episode that sometimes um tragedy can be one of your greatest motivators but what's going on right now is 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 horrible for mihalovic but he can be really proud of his team that continue to fight and continue to get amazing results meanwhile arnautovic according to jose Mourinho, is basically ibra (laughs) um and has been stunning to watch but another great result for bologna this was an interesting game with Roma who had to make lots and lots of changes because obviously they do have one eye on the semi-final against Leicester City in the Conference League. And... Um, I, the only thing that I kept thinking to myself is, with all these rotations, you still couldn't start Shmurdov. <laughs> <laughs> he just really hates this guy. yeah. Um, and then he's the only one. Like, I mean, lots of changes happened straight after halftime, um, but still poor Shmurdov had to wait until the 77th minute. What did you think of Bromo's performance? Because honestly, this is a team that's growing, if not necessarily finding its way to, to always get the results needed. That they are playing, and the only team playing right now in Europe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, did a mini soda after the European um, performance. I thought this looked like a team that was doing what it did, rotating, and clearly has its attention on Thursday. And I think that's fair enough. I know the, the Europa Conference League is is a, a new and and compared to other European competitions, maybe even an underwhelming prize to lots of people. But I think when you're in a European semi final, I don't care which competition it is, and you're. Weighing that up against trying to f- finish fifth in the league, which is still so important, but you should be prioritising your European semi-final, and they did. I, I think, um, I think it's one of the things that was my big takeaway from from this game, and and just Roma in general at the moment is, you know, we've expressed us expressed our scepticism with Mourinho at times of season. I've had my doubts of him at times of season. I still have plenty of doubts of them, but you mm. cannot doubt the buy-in he's got now from the club supporters and how they're turning out. Late in the season to see these games for a team that is not anywhere near winning the league, that is competing for the third tier European competition. He has got that. He's energized the piazza. He has really energized the piazza. And I, and I think that is something. Is it enough? It's, I don't know, it's something. And I think qualifying for the Europa League next season will be another step forward in, in where they're trying to get to. So, um, maybe it's not been all the progress they wanted. Maybe. But it's it's something, and I, I think the Bologna game, Bologna on their own probably deserve more time. Than we've got time to give them, but they uh, drew, they in the, drew the Milan, drew uh, Milan, uh, beat uh, Inter. They are a team that are playing their socks out of Mihailovic and it's amazing to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it was interesting that Zaninola was played as a false number nine. Just a just a few mentions there. I'm not sure whether or not. Uh, Medel should have been sent off, but that's, I mean, there's been some really bizarre refereeing going on in general, um, which we don't like to cover so much on this pod, because what are you going to do, right? Mm. Um, and <laughs> the one thing I do like about Roma, though, is, is Nuno Santos. <laughs> you just, you can guarantee that he's going to lose his rag at one point. Um, I guess one of the other things that we should mention is, is the way that Mourinho has gotten the fans on board and I guess it does it kind of helps when he gets to mention that Acerbi, Acerbi's winner for Lazio against Spezia was offside but we have to talk about this refereeing decision even though we try to avoid them as much as possible but you looked at that you looked at the images what do you think about it?
0: I, I think it's classic Mourinho um misdirection to make it a conversation point. I think Lazio rose to it spectacularly releasing a club statement, basically <laughs> saying, um, as I think it was Patrick Hendrick put it on Twitter, but basically he's just saying, yeah, you're living rent uh we're living rent-free in your head. It's it's sort of amazingly childish. Um, but it's amazingly like exactly what Mourinho would love to do. The decision itself, honestly, yeah, he, he uh, watching it, I think he's offside. Having said that. The, mm. the, the angle they've got on the camera that everyone's trying to show like the lines on it's behind the action so you actually exactly can't see down the line so you don't know yeah it's difficult it's so i so i don't have a problem with not overturning it because you haven't got incontrovertible evidence to me it's that's how i feel about yeah. it
1: but i do want to say that you know spezia three times they take control in that match you know um what a what a thriller that must have been for a shared bit to get the winner considering all the criticism that he faced after that loss to Milan and how much people talked about him laughing as somebody who laughs in really awful moments. I really understand him because that's, that's exactly the, that kind of reaction that I would have at that point as well, because it, it would be like, you know, sod my life. Like obviously that was going to happen. And then you sort of smile about it. Yeah. But you know, sadly that moment is captured by all the cameras and it, it provoked uh, a lot of uh, horrible reactions. And I'm glad for him that he managed to get that winner. Whether or not it was legal remains to be uh, noted. But um, from what I understand, those uh the man who worked the VAR, it was Luca Pareto and Luigi Nasher, um, match director and employee of the, so apparently they're gonna be suspended and not work for the rest of the season.
0: Which sounds dramatic, but that's three games. It's not like it's like, oh, you know, you're getting suspended for months, is it? It's like, go on. Yes, exactly. So it's only three matches. (laughs) But that means that they do think there's something dodgy there to be considered.
1: But whatever it is, everyone's had dodgy decisions this season in Serie A. And I'm still one of those types of people where I think it all levels out in the end.
0: But I think that's all we have time for, Nikki. Yeah. I just want to sign off by saying thank you again to everyone who supported the show you know, we don't want you to, as listeners feel like you have to, uh, carry this show. We are working on getting those sponsorships. We've got some really interesting conversations coming up, but it is a huge boost to us and really helps us. And, and we're just incredibly grateful and, and touched frankly, that you guys enjoy the show and, and want to help us keep it going. Cause we love making it um, for you guys and, and we love having the conversations with you guys. So thank you. Um, if you would like to join us on Patreon, if you're not doing that already, um, you can do that uh, via the website. Uh, there's also a button for a one-time tip via Ko-fi. That's all on seriachronicles.com. You can find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and you can follow Seriach Chronicles accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We will be back next week with our next episode of the show, and we'll have some Patreon mini coming up during the week as well.